Fantastic. Well, what a morning. What an amazing morning. What a fantastic event in church life and most importantly in Colin and Catherine's life. It's wonderful to see you today. If you are a visitor, if you're here for the first time, a great special welcome to you. It's wonderful to have Ryan and Indy back and John and Laura as well. And everybody else, if I've missed anybody, my apologies. It's just fantastic and great to see you guys getting baptized this morning. Well, you know, it's Easter in just four weeks' time. And in addition to the usual mountains of chocolate Easter eggs that will be available, it's also predicted that there will be 16 million more drivers on the UK roads than normal over the Easter weekend. And in addition to that, if that's not enough to depress you, if you're going away on holiday at Easter, there'll be another 8 million people will be taking to the railways, our wonderfully efficient and always smooth-running railways. About a third of the country will be on a special journey this coming Easter weekend. On Easter Sunday afternoon, we as a family are going to be heading off after church down to South Wales to see my parents, Woo, thanks you my, my parents and... Um, also my middle brother and his family. And for many of the people that will be traveling over the Easter weekend, like us, they'll be using the UK's road network, the motorway network. And when you're traveling on a motorway and you come off at one of the exits or sometimes you come to those kind of uh, bits where it sort of splits in the road and you have to make a choice of where you're going to go, you usually find yourself at some kind of big roundabout junction as you come off or there's some kind of big sort of complex junction where you have to make a choice which way you'll go when you come off the motorway and you come to that end of your journey or, or that part of the end of your journey or the end of that part of your journey. Will I, will I go to the left? Will I go this way? Or will I go that way? This is one of my favorite signs in all the world because this means that I'm almost home, particularly when I'm coming back from seeing my parents. Nothing against them, but it's a lovely sign. A1 Gateshead, Newcastle, almost there, not long, almost there. And you certainly don't want to go to the Tyne Tunnel and South Shields. You want to keep going to Newcastle. You know, life itself is like a journey, isn't it? Life itself is like a journey. And whilst you're on that journey, there's lots of junctions. There's lots of opportunities to sort of take different um, ways and, and, and different roads that we can take, different crossroads that we come to. We have to choose which way to go when we come to those kind of major moments in our lives. It's been fantastic this morning to see uh, Colin and Catherine uh, reaching that important point in their life journey where they've publicly announced to all of us here this morning publicly announcing their faith and trust in Jesus by being baptized, demonstrating that, as Joel was saying earlier, their old life is dead and they've begun a new life by trusting in Jesus. And I want to congratulate you both this morning, Colin and Catherine, on firstly trusting in Jesus, the greatest thing that you will ever do. It's the most important decision you will ever make, and it's the greatest and most important step you will ever take in your life. I also want to congratulate this morning on getting baptized it's a little bit late, Colin, but hey, we did it. Fantastic. Amazing. Well done. It's a huge milestone in your life and a hugely important step that you've both taken, being obedient to Jesus and doing what he asked you to do and being baptized. But as great as it is to be baptized, and it's a huge moment and a really important thing to do, I want to encourage you this morning to keep on following Jesus, to keep on being obedient to, keep to Jesus, keep on trusting in Jesus. Keep your eyes fixed on Jesus in the weeks and the months and the years that lie ahead of your life. Because you'll both have many more choices ahead of you as to which way you'll turn. Will you go this way? Will you go that way? Will you live for Jesus or will you live for self? And will you live for Jesus or will you live the way that the world wants you to live? 
Some of those are really big decisions that you'll have to make, and some will just be kind of everyday choices, but regardless of the size or the nature of those choices, I want to encourage you both just to keep on following Jesus. Keep on living for Him and living for Him alone. Live for an audience of one, and that audience of one is Jesus. His is the only opinion in the world that matters, is what He thinks of you and how you're living. So live for an audience of one. Live for Jesus. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 6, and I want to give you this verse on the occasion of your baptism, says this, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to Him and He will make your paths straight. Trust in the Lord with all your heart, not just a little bit, not just in a few things in life. Don't just put God in in, in some parts of your life. Put God right at the center of everything that you do. You're going to face all sorts of decisions, some big, some small, but regardless of the size of those decisions, I want to encourage you to submit to God in every aspect of your life, in all your ways, as the Bible says here. Make the choices that God wants you to make by submitting to His written word, the Bible, that word that, word that we sang about. Keep on reading the Bible every day. Make it your, your, your treasured book, your treasured possession. Keep on spending time in prayer. Jesus has made it possible for you to have a relationship with his Father, with God. And so don't let that go lightly. Pray to him every day. Spend time with him every day. The world around you will put all kind of pressure on you to live in a way that's contrary to the way that God wants you to live. So be strong. Don't give in to the pressure of this world. And instead, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't rely on your own understanding, on your own intellect and ideas and experiences Rely instead on God to lead you every single step of the way of the life that is ahead of you. And if you put Jesus right at the center of your life, then he will make your path straight. In other words, he will lead you in the best way. God's ways are always the best ways. God's way is always the best way. Today is the first day of the rest of your life. That's a a huge thing, isn't it? Today is the first day of the rest of your life. And I want to encourage and challenge you both to live every day of the rest of your life for Jesus. You won't always get it right. And Colin has referred to regrets that he has from his past. And no doubt, Catherine, you'll have regrets in the future, things that will will be said or done and, and things that you'll regret doing. But God is a God of grace. God is a God of grace. In other words, when we give our lives to him, he treats us in a way that we don't deserve to be treated. Probably my favorite verse in the Bible is 1 John 2 verse 1, which says this, My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have one who speaks to the Father in our defense, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Once we've trusted in Jesus, we're not supposed to sin. We're supposed to live like Jesus, but sadly, we all know that we do. But when we do, because we've trusted in Jesus and because you guys have trusted in Jesus, who has already dealt with all your sins by dying in your place on the cross and taking the punishment that you deserve, that I deserve, that we all deserve, then we know that Jesus is there in heaven right now representing us, representing you guys this morning before God's throne, reminding God that he, Jesus, has already taken the punishment for your sin and for my sin. Jesus has already forgiven our sins. So don't let past regrets or future regrets hold you back. You are forgiven. That is your new identity. You are a forgiven one. And even the sins that you've yet to commit, they're already forgiven because you've been dealt with by Jesus. Because you've been forgiven, you've been accepted, 
and you've been adopted by God as one of his precious children, which means that your eternal destiny is now completely secure. It doesn't depend on you. It all depends on Jesus. And from that place of forgiveness and acceptance and security and, and, and significance, I want to encourage you to keep on going on living for God. From that freedom that, that, that Jesus gives, go on living for him, putting him at the center of your life, submitting to him in all your ways. Put God right at the center of your life and keep him there. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit to him and he will make your paths straight. I want to read an account from the Bible about two men who'd come to the very end of their life's journey. They were right at the end because they uh, were criminals and they'd been found guilty and had been sentenced to death by the Roman authorities. And we're going to uh, read about their story. It's found in Luke chapter 23. I'm just going to spend a few minutes uh, looking at these guys' story. Luke 23, if you've got a Bible with you, you can turn with me. Uh, if not, you can just listen uh, as I read about these two men who, like every one of us, were on a journey. And they had made some really crazy decisions and they ended up facing death. And here is their story. Luke 23, we're going to read from verse 32. Two other men, both criminals, were also led out with him, with Jesus that is, to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him, along with the criminals, one on his right, the other on his left. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And they divided up his clothes by casting lots. The people stood watching, and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. The soldiers, the soldiers also came up and mocked him. They offered him wine vinegar and said, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. There was a written notice above him which read, This is the king of the Jews. One of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other criminal rebuked him. Don't you fear God, he said, since you are under the same sentence. We are punished justly for we are getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus answered him, I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paradise. These two criminals who were crucified either side of Jesus had been on a journey. The journey of life, only now their journey was right at the end. They were in the last few hours of their journey. We don't know much about them, but they'd obviously made some pretty bad life choices. They'd both committed an offense which under Roman law meant they were now being executed by the most barbaric way of execution ever invented, which was crucifixion. In both Matthew's and Mark's accounts, Matthew's and Mark's Gospels, they're described as robbers. In Luke's account, which we just read, he just describes them as criminals. Two thieves that were probably violent and dangerous men who'd been caught and were now facing Roman justice. And so here they were at the end of their road, at the end of their journey, with only hours left on earth, hours which would be the most horrific hours of their lives as they hung each of them on a cross. Crucifixion is the most horrendous form of execution that human beings could ever invent. It was truly horrendous. And in the gap between these two criminals, there hung another man on a cross, a man who was different to them, a man who'd never made a wrong choice, a man who had done nothing wrong ever. And as these three men hung on their crosses, the Bible says about the man on the center cross, the people stood watching and the rulers even sneered at him. It wasn't the two criminals that were the focus of the crowd's attention. It was the man on the center cross. And the crowd was making fun of him. 
And as they did so, the Bible says one of the criminals who hung there hurled insults at him. Aren't you the Christ? Save yourself and us. And For this criminal, right at the end of his life's journey, he faced the most important choice of all. How would he respond to Jesus? And he made his choice. He laughed at Jesus. He mocked him. He held insults at him. He made his choice and he rejected Jesus, even in the, the, the last hours of his own life as he hung there on a cross. He was only prepared to believe that, that, that Jesus was who he said he was, that he was God's son, that he was the special king, the Messiah, the Christ that, that, that God had sent from heaven, if Jesus would perform a miracle, come down from the cross himself and rescue him as well. But the reality was he wasn't really interested in, in Jesus at all. He just wanted to save his own skin. Jesus could have rescued this man from his crucifixion, but that wouldn't have dealt with the man's real problem, would it? Because this man's greatest need wasn't rescue from physical death. It was rescue from spiritual death. In other words, separation from God. And that's why Jesus didn't save himself from death, even though he could have done, even though he had the power to do so. Because if Jesus had come down from the cross, then he couldn't have provided a solution for those criminals' greatest need and our greatest need this morning. The other criminal was different. Listen to what the Bible says. The other criminal rebuked him, rebuked his fellow criminal. He said, don't you fear God, he said. We are punished justly, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man has done nothing wrong. This criminal looked at Jesus from his own cross. You can kind of imagine him looking to his left, perhaps, and looking there at Jesus. And he knew that there was something special about Jesus. There was something unique. There was something radically different about this man. He realized he was very different to himself. Maybe it was the way that Jesus behaved whilst hanging there on that cross, whilst being crucified. Maybe it was the way that he, he just prayed to God to forgive the soldiers for crucifying him because they didn't really know what they were doing. Maybe he'd heard about the time that Jesus fed thousands of people. Maybe he'd heard about the time when Jesus had healed people or raised people from the dead. We don't really know. We're not told. What we do know is that this man realized there was something unique and special and different about the man on the cross next to him. And when faced with the choice of how, how to respond to this man, to Jesus, he chose a different path to the other criminal. He didn't have all the answers. He didn't know everything there was to know about Jesus. He didn't get to go on a, on a, on a Christianity Explored course or anything like that. He didn't know much what was going on. Maybe he didn't know much about the Bible, but he knew this much. He knew that God was holy and righteous. He feared God, and he feared God because he knew he was a sinner, and he knew that his own days, his own life on earth was literally a few hours away, coming to an end. He knew he was a sinner, and he knew that he was receiving the punishment for some very specific crimes that he'd committed. He also knew enough to know that Jesus was who he said he was, that Jesus was the Son of God, that Jesus was the King of Kings, that he was the Christ, the Messiah, this special chosen one that God had sent from heaven. And he knew that his future was in Jesus' hands. As bizarre and as amazing as that seems, that here's one man on a cross hanging in agony, and he's putting his whole life and his whole death and his eternal destination, his whole eternal destiny, in the hands of another man hanging naked, shamed on a cross next to him. Quite a bizarre thing if you think about it. And so he turned to Jesus and looking through blood and sweat-filled eyes and summoning up every ounce of energy that he had within him so that he could speak. This is what he said. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Despite the fact that Jesus was hanging naked on the cross next to him in agony and shame, 
he still believed that Jesus was the answer to his eternal destiny. And so in simple faith, he asked Jesus to save him. Remember me, he says, when you come as a king. A dying man at the end of his own journey and his his final choice in life is the most important choice he will ever make. Instead of rejecting Jesus like the other criminal, in simple faith, not knowing much about Jesus, but knowing enough to entrust his life to him, he acknowledges his own wrongdoing. We're punished justly, he said, for we're getting what our deeds deserve. And so he entrusts his life to Jesus, believing that Jesus can and will save him, not from physical death, but from spiritual death, which is eternal separation from God. He no longer wanted to be that rebel against God and live a sinful life. Instead, now in these dying moments, he recognized this was his last opportunity to surrender his life to God and to submit to Jesus as his rightful king. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. Listen to what Jesus, the king, the king of kings, said to him in response. I tell you the truth, today you will be with me in paradise. This man chose to give his life to Jesus. He believed in simple faith that his future lay in the hands of the man next to him on the cross, in the hands of Jesus. And in response to that simple trust, Jesus forgave the man's past, gave him peace with God, gave him a relationship with God, and granted him eternal life. And in the instant that he breathed his last death, he went to be with Jesus in paradise, which was Jesus' way of saying that he would spend eternity with him, enjoying all his love. Two men, two very different choices. One chose life, one chose death, all because of how they responded to the encounter that they had with Jesus at the end of their life's journey, at the end of the journey of life. One of the criminals refused to accept the situation. The other one knew exactly what was wrong with him, and he knew that he needed Jesus. The Bible says that there's something wrong, not just with those two criminals or with criminals in general, but with all of us. Joel mentioned this earlier. It's called sin. It's all that junk that we wished wasn't there, all that stuff that we would just be ashamed of if everybody could see the reality of what really goes on in our minds and our hearts when no one else is watching. All those things that we're glad other people can't see, those things that we sometimes pretend don't exist. But you know, when God shines his light into our hearts and lives, our sin is all too evident. We might not be as bad as those criminals, but we're still sinners. The Bible says this, for all of sin, all fall short of God's glorious standard. And and our sins separate us from God. In fact, the Bible says when people sin, they earn what sin pays, which is death, spiritual death. Because of the wrong things that we do, we don't just die physically. We actually face eternal separation from God in what the Bible calls hell. The first criminal wouldn't face up to his sins, even though he was actually being crucified for some of them. And he rejected Jesus as the solution to his problem, to his eternal destiny. The second criminal knew what he was. He knew he had a massive problem, but he also recognized that the answer to his problem was right there next to him on the cross. And so he turned to Jesus, and in simple faith, he asked Jesus to save him. But how could Jesus save him? In fact, how can Jesus save us? How can a man naked on a cross, nailed to a cross, powerless, helpless, how could he save him? How can he save us? Well, in the very next verse that I stopped at, if we'd carried on, it says this. Verse 44, it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon for the sun stopped shining. The Bible tells us elsewhere that during those three hours of darkness, when the sun should have been at its brightest, Jesus took the punishment for your sin, for my sin, for those criminal sin. He took the punishment for all of our sins. The Bible says this, that Christ had no sin. 
But God made him become sin so that in Christ we could become right with God. In other words, as Jesus hung there on that cross between those two criminals, he became your sin and my sin. And God the Father then punished Jesus instead of punishing us for all of our sin. And so now by putting our faith in the one who has taken the punishment for us, we can be forgiven, we can have peace with God, we can have a relationship with God, and we can have eternal life. You'll have made lots of journeys in your life. You may well make quite a few this Easter, but each one of us is on a much more important journey, the journey of life. And the most important choice we will ever make on that journey is what we do with Jesus. The Bible says that in the journey of life, one day every person who's ever lived will stand before Jesus. And we can reject him in life, but one day we'll stand before him as our judge and face his wrath. Or, like that second criminal, like Colin, like Catherine, we can accept him in life and spend eternity with him in heaven as our Savior, reveling and enjoying his love forever. The first criminal died and entered into an eternity without Jesus in what the Bible calls hell. The other criminal died and was that in that very instant in paradise with Jesus. Many of us here this morning have done just what that criminal did. We've looked in faith, in simple faith, without having all the answers, but we knew, we know that Jesus is the answer, and so we've turned to Jesus, and we've received eternal life. And so we have that wonderful assurance from Jesus that we have eternal life. Jesus said these words, everyone who looks to the Son and believes in Him shall have eternal life, and I will raise Him up at the last day. They're wonderful words, and they're amazing words. It's not that we might have eternal life, but we shall have eternal life. Life is so uncertain, isn't it? And we never know when our lives will come to an end. Yet if we've trusted in Jesus, we know that we have eternal life right now. Not a future hope, it's a reality right now. So we can face the future. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. We sang right at the beginning. We have that certainty and assurance that we have eternal life. We have eternal life because Jesus died, because Jesus died there on that center cross, upon that hill of Calvary, because he became our sin and was punished in our place. If we've trusted in Jesus, then we know that we're forgiven. We're made right with God and have eternal life. The reality of life is that we will all die. But if we've trusted in Jesus, then like that criminal on that center cross, we know that death is just the doorway into the presence of Jesus, into paradise with God. Death is no longer our great enemy. Because if we've trusted in him, then Jesus has given us eternal life. And we can face the future knowing that our lives are in Jesus' hands. Catherine and Colin, like that man on the cross next to Jesus, you've both given your lives to him. And you've publicly declared your allegiance to Jesus by being baptized here this morning. And one day, along with many of us here this morning, you will meet that criminal who hung there on the cross next to Jesus. That'll be cool, won't it? We'll be able to meet him and actually find out a bit more about him. But more importantly than that, you'll meet Jesus. That'll be even cooler. One day, we'll stand before Jesus face to face. The Bible says when we see him, we shall be like him. So as you continue, guys, with your life's journey, keep your eyes fixed firmly on the one who hung there on the cross for you, trusting in him with all your heart, looking forward to that day when you see Jesus face to face. That might be today, might be many years in the future. Maybe this morning that... You've yet to put your faith and trust in Jesus. I don't know where you stand with him this morning. But like that man on the cross next to Jesus, maybe you recognize that you do need Jesus in your life. 
Maybe like that man next to Jesus, you've been running away from God for all your life or maybe for a long time. And if that's you this morning, if that is you this morning, then why not quit running, quit rebelling and surrender your life to Jesus? Confess your sin. Confess your need of him. Thank Jesus that he died for you there on that cross, took the punishment for all the wrong things that you've ever done. Ask him to forgive you. Ask him to be your savior. Surrender your life to him. And that's something that you can do right here, right now. Don't need anyone else to help you with it. I can help you if you want afterwards, but something you can do, just you and Jesus. It may be that you're not ready to take that step this morning, and and that's fine, but if you want to know more, and and if that's you, then please do come and chat with me or, or chat with Joel afterwards. We'd love to talk to you more about that. We have a course called Christianity Explored, and you get to do what the thief didn't get to do, which is check out a bit more about Jesus by looking right the way through Mark's gospel, asking, you know, why did Jesus come? Who is he? Did he really rise from the dead? All of that kind of stuff. What, all of these big questions of life. And if that's something that you'd be interested in doing, then again, come and chat with me afterwards. We'd love to do that with you. Maybe this morning you are a believer in Jesus. Maybe like you maybe identify with Colin's testimony and, and to an extent with Catherine's where you've, you've put your faith and trust in Jesus, but actually you've just kind of wandered off a little bit. And you'll know you haven't really been kind of focusing on him and you've let other stuff come in and you've wandered off, this morning would be a great time just to recenter, come right back to the cross, just to come right back again and refocus on Jesus, make him once again the center of your life. For all of us this morning, the challenge is to fix our eyes on Jesus, the one who has gone before us, has made that way for us to go to heaven. Let's just take a few moments to close our eyes. Maybe bow your head, close your eyes if you feel comfortable doing that. We're in God's presence this morning. We can't, he's not here physically to be seen, but the Bible says that he's here by the power of his spirit. And we're in God's presence right now. This is a holy place, a holy moment. Maybe that you're a believer in Jesus, but you need to recommit to trusting in him with all your heart and submitting to him in all your ways. Maybe you've been a believer in Jesus for a long time, but you've made some bad choices and you've taken some wrong turns on your journey of life then remember this morning that Jesus is representing you before the Father right now. He's already dealt with your sins. You are forgiven. Maybe you want to take that moment, to take that most important steps and surrender your life to Jesus for the very first time and ask him to become your Lord and Savior. Father, we come to you this morning and we give you thanks for your son, Jesus. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you died for us there on the cross, hanging on that center cross for each one of us this morning, that you became sin. You never sinned, but you became our sin. You took the punishment that we deserved. Thank you for doing that for us. Thank you that you rose again three days later, and right now you're in heaven ruling and reigning. But we thank you, too, that you're here by the power of your spirit. We worship you. We give you thanks for your love for us. Father, I pray this morning that you would just speak into our hearts, each one of us, and wherever we're at with you, that we would take that step of running back to you into your open arms. Pray this in Jesus' name. And I pray for Colin and I pray for Catherine. Lord, would you bless them? Would you bless them mightily in their days and weeks and months and years ahead of them? May they keep their eyes fixed on you. May they trust in the Lord with all their heart. Bless them, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.
We're going to stand and sing in a moment. The band are going to come and lead us again in one final song. It's a great old hymn, several hundred years old, uh, written by Charles Wesley. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? In other words, how on earth is it possible that I could be included in what Jesus has done for me? Great old hymn, amazing words, and the band are going to lead us. And then um, uh, Louise will come up and close the service after that. Thanks. Thanks.